if you take that time and go into scripture, go into the gym, go into a walk on the beach and you ground. And I know it's easier said than done because it's when people piss me off. It's so easy to be like, ah. yeah. but it's also a huge notion of who you are and your character when you can say, listen, the world is messed up, but I can observe and not absorb. And I don't have to be messed up. Welcome back. We are here with Lacey Nicole today. And Yay. she is a public speaker, author, and the host of Shame to Sparkle podcast. And she has battled seven different um, autoimmune diseases. She has a very compelling backstory. And she was a victim of a pretty horrific crime as well. Uh, now Lacey is out and she's speaking publicly on how to battle shame and how to heal. So we're so happy to have you here today, Lacey. Such a sweet intro. Yay. Thank Yay. you for being here. We're so I'm happy so to have you here. so excited that we made it happen. That's right. Yes. And we love Lacey. She's a personal friend of ours also. Yes. She's not just a guest. She is a good I know. friend. And we're so happy to be here. I'm biased that we're, this is the best show ever now just because it's <laughs> the all of us. The best show ever. So. That's right. It's LL. <laughs> oh, it is <laughs> L cubed. Yeah. There's so many L's. Lydia and Linda and I have an L cubed. So we're L cubed. Yeah. I love it. We had Lydia. Lydia here too. We did. Another little L. So. We like that. Okay. So one of the reasons why we were excited to have you on is because we are trying to focus on mental, physical, and spiritual health and how they're really like the trifecta of becoming your best self and healing Absolutely. and all of that. And I feel like it's really important because you're such a you're such a big voice in the shame and trauma category. And I personally have experienced a lot of shame and trauma in my life, which led to a lot of problems with dysregulation, illnesses, autoimmune disorders, uh, codependent behavior, mm -hmm. a lot of things in my own life. Yeah. Statistically, I should not be alive. <laughs> the amount of trauma I have experienced in my life, I should not have made it to my 40th birthday. Well, we're um, happy that you're here. <laughs> so, you uh, I am so here. Well, and it shows yeah. your, I think it shows your tenacity and yeah. strength when you can go through things and use them to help other people yeah. versus going through things and laying over and giving up. So it just shows your strength. And that's why I'm drawn to you and you're my friend. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why I actually feel really connected to you and why I respect and admire you and love you too. And when I'm around you, I feel seen and heard because not a lot of people understand what it does to you. And they just think, you know, they just think, oh, get over it or things like that. And that actually causes more trauma. <laughs> Definitely. One of the things I just really love about you is you have a really empathic soul. You are so sympathetic and empathic to people that have gone through things and you sense it. I've seen you just grab me and say, I know you're feeling this way. And it's, you're, you just have a really beautiful way about you, a deep mm -hmm. empathy and understanding for trauma and shame. And that's just something we don't have a lot of. And so I'm grateful you're here in my life and able to, like you said, help others heal and deal with these things. Cause right. it's more and more common. One in eight children are growing up in adverse childhood experiences right now. And we're finally understanding the impacts that has on our health and brains, but we didn't use to. So people like you, I feel like I've been a really big voice in that. That's so sweet. I'm going to cry off yeah. the And we just fixed the mascara. <laughs> okay, so. we will not cry. Yeah. I always say you cannot compliment mm. me too much because I get extraordinarily uncomfortable or I cry. Yeah. And I, I love I you, that, so actually. I will cry. So I'm like trying not to have direct eye contact even, but that's very kind and thoughtful. And I really it's do really appreciate true. that sentiment because I think even in our society, maybe, uh, vocalizing 
things you go through or experiences has always been a taboo thing. And I was just speaking about this recently, how up until late, even a woman voicing something as simple as a miscarriage, like we don't tell people we are pregnant until three months. And there's a reason and a science behind that because you don't want to have to explain to people and going through a loss or something that traumatic should be something we easily explain without being labeled as a victim or wanting attention. So I think using any platform in a way, and I always say, to help others or even to help yourself. Even if, even if every day you tell your story to validate yourself, I think it's a beautiful and courageous thing. I Lacey, love that about you. When did you give yourself permission to tell your story? Because you probably, it probably, things weren't happening to you and you're like, okay, let me share my life. No, it, I had a nervous had breakdown to, right. first. <laughs> you get to heal it. You get on your healing journey, right? And then you, yeah. you're like, I'll give okay. you guys. So I always joke. I haven't dated in like a million years, but I always say it's my tender profile because I try and give people a five minute synopsis of why I am the way I am. (laughs) And it's so loaded, but I'll give a little backstory. So essentially I was born here. I was born into an immense privilege. It's a privilege to be born in this country, let alone in a beautiful, safe area with financial stability. So I never want to discredit that, but I was born into a family with extreme issues with addiction and abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, codependency. The police were there every night. I was an only child and my mother specifically battled addiction and my father was very avoidant, usually an avoidant and an anxious attract each other. The right. anxious is the codependent, the anxious is the addict. The, anyways, we Deadly could go combo. deep into that at a later <laughs> time. Maybe from my first memories, which is sad because I know there were lovely memories intertwined, but the way our brains are derived is to protect us. So we're wired for protection. So right. like the caveman had to be to survive. I only remember the super tragic moments And from a young age, I was taught, you're not allowed to count. You're not allowed to be uh, honest with people because honesty could breed being, so to speak, caught. I remember being maybe four or five and missing kindergarten. And they were like, you have to say we were traveling because the child protective service, you'll be alone. You'll be. And so I just. So many secrets. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember building this little facade and I wrote a book and I wrote a whole excerpt on, I used to call it, my close friends call me Lulu, but I would always say like Lulu's world. And in my world, like everything was perfect. And we had dinner at five o'clock and the police weren't there. And my mom was getting wheeled away to go to rehab again. And I was alone. And so my earliest memories are just feeling the need to parent everyone around me and make everything meticulous and lie. And that's a hard place to be for a young child. Because when we are taught that our emotions don't count or we're different from our peers, we're tribal as is, but when our own family is not a part of our tribe and it's very fear-driven, we either learn codependency, narcissism, we learn coping skills that we don't necessarily need as an adult. But at the time, I definitely needed them. I needed to be fawn and be codependent to survive in my mind. And growing up in that space was obviously just my upbringing. <laughs> and I ob- I love my family dearly. They just had their own wounds and wounds that we don't heal, we pass down. And when I was in my early 20s, I was a victim of very horrific, like one-off crime. And same thing. I remember testifying and my family was like, we don't talk about it. And I just remember no one showing up for me and feeling, okay, again, and my friends were there for my other friends that had to. And I remember being like, my parents aren't here. What's the lie? Okay. They're traveling. They're doing like, I just remember micromanaging the lie, but still not feeling enough. Like, why am I always in a crowded room and everyone else has 
support and I don't. And so I leaned into this, it's because of me and I need to be perfect, which is not, you know, a efficient way to think. But at the time you're young and your brain isn't developed even. Mm -hmm. And so that was my coping forever. And I feel guilty even saying it because obviously lying is not the way to go through life. However, in my mind, like this is what people do and we don't talk about dark things. And then up until my late twenties and I, we had a few deaths in our family. We have so much tragedy in our family, but I hit like a wall, like mentally, physically, spiritually, I think in my late twenties, I think I was 26 or 27. And I was so sick, not normal sick, could not get out of bed, could not drive to a store without sleeping in the back seat, could not oh hold a hairbrush. Like my hands were so inflamed I, my hair was falling out, like weird things. And I have an ulcer. I would like vomit blood after every meal, which is probably two TMI. There's an array of two TMI ones, so (laughs) I'll spare you. And I remember just being on this like smorgasbord of medication and Ambien. And I got all of these diagnoses for autoimmune issues. And I, at the time, identified with them because it almost felt validating. Oh, you are, you have rheumatoid arthritis and you have Strogan's and you have Hashimoto's and you have this and you have that. And I remember being like, okay, I am unwell. I'm sick. I'm not an explanation. Yeah. You almost, but if you lean into it, it becomes you because identifying with being unwell almost gave me an excuse for being the way I was. And I leaned into it in a way that I'm not proud of where I was so easily triggered. And if someone came to me and my trigger, so our triggers are unhealed parts of ourselves. Mine is always when people compliment me, like things have come easy to me because the lie that I project, of course, this is my own fault, but how could people know if I, everything is pristine Mm. and I'm throwing up blood in the bathroom and someone is like, you have everything so easy. You're so lucky. You're this. And so I was so triggered. I was a walking time bomb of just triggered. Like I could cry at any moment. I remember if friends did something and succeeded, I felt like, why am I not this? And that's not a way to live. And I just, I don't know. I hit a wall of, I'm not going to live like this. I remember even the day I woke up and I was like, F this. I'm going to heal myself. I'm not going to be this person. And so that was like my journey into healing. And now I feel very blessed to have even gone through all the crazy stuff. Because I think once you can heal from the crazy, you can see like a different lens. Oh, I completely agree with that. I've definitely looked at you. were one of the first people I called when I got really sick and it is a different life. I I am a different person. I feel like in, in a, in a good way, but there's a lot of similarities in your story and her story. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And first person I thought of when I got sick, I think sharing, I didn't even answer the question. I just gave my five minute tender spiel in a bad way, (laughs) but answering, I posted in COVID because I, saw everyone talking about all of these issues with human trafficking and this and that. And I was like, I should share what I've been through. And I felt conflicted for months. And then finally one day I just shared it. And I will never forget the mean comments and the people you're sharing this for attention. You're doing this. And I was like, I need to delete it. And then I don't know. I was like, you know what? If God put me on this earth for this much time and he gave me all these hardships, they're to be used. I'm not going to lean in. That's the enemy. Anytime someone makes me feel this goosebump of shame, that's just like a negative enemy leeching into me. That's my weakness. So who cares? And then 
Yeah. So that was the time you, you came out was during COVID. Yeah, I came so out. You told your story. Yeah. That was when you told your story. Yeah. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I've, I followed you, I think, before I even got very close with you, I think. And I think I followed you starting around your wedding because I was like, oh, this is a really beautiful wedding. This girl's friends with some of my friends. And, and then I saw you posting about like endometriosis. And I, I have several girlfriends with endometriosis. Yeah. And you always post the endo. I was like, someone yeah. help me. I'm going to like your implant removal. But that was after. Okay. And then, yeah. And you're, you know, what had happened with that crime? You showed a yeah. picture of you with obviously looked a little hurt, yeah. you know? I don't know what to say, but yeah, so you looked a little beat up and it was horrific to see a girl who, as like you said, who seems to have it all, who seems so beautiful, well, you are beautiful and sweet oh, and kind you. and <laughs> and loving. And We're then you're like, hurt. how could something like, how could something like this happen to this girl? And then I just right. have a whole developed sense of more compassion for you and understanding. Well, like you said, you don't want people to just think your life is perfect. I saw you in a different light. Like I saw you as a warrior and a victor and a survivor. And I'm like, okay, this makes hers. That's sweet. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I don't know, the feedback though, I know I just leaned into the negative ones, but then the positive that's side. That's what our brain does. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the positive side was like, thousands of messages and I'm not a big Instagram to do or influencer I had thousands and I'm not exaggerating I still have to go through some because I'm so ADHD with my phone and it's so hard to get through DMs but of just women specifically messaging me oh my gosh I had no idea but I went through this or like when I was in college I was taken and raped and I've never told my husband and I have a mess because and And I went I feel dirty because of this and I feel the thing is, is trauma doesn't discriminate. Certainly, we all experience trauma. We've all experienced an uncomfortable situation, even if it's yeah. something like a divorce or like a your parents splitting up when you were young or like a worrying about the bills as a mom or a single. Like all of these things coincide. So my trauma is not the worst trauma. It's just trauma. And when we right. realize we are all under this umbrella and it's okay to tell your story, like you're not a victim, you're not gross, you're not seeking attention and you know what people are going to say you're seeking something regardless so i think to have the capacity to be transparent is what will save us all especially as women no offense to men but Mm -hmm. as women specifically because we're the ones at the end of the day holding in all our pain to be pristine Mm -hmm. and resenting one another and i think it's a beautiful thing to just be like you know what i'm screwed up but look at how far i've come (laughs) versus yes this is my perfect thing and it's okay too i love the perfect filtered Mm -hmm. (laughs) gala picture like I'm not BSing that's my favorite thing but it's okay to say okay I was at this beautiful event and also like last week was crap because of this and and if you're not comfortable to do that too that's okay too yeah and then you also give you give the, the women around you permission to tell their story and I think that's such a nice gift to give other women and other people because we're always trying to be like at the top of everything, right? And so if you can just sit back and be like, look, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, and we have a story to tell and we have it to share so we can help other people. And I think that's just like such a like wonderful message to have. Yeah. And be able I to agree. do that. I think also it helps I think the basic human need at the end of the day, like humans want to feel heard and seen and understood yeah. more than anything. And and I think what you did by speaking about it and helping people see what shame and trauma and like you were saying, yours is this. This is what your trauma is, but hers could be this and his mm-hmm. could be this. But at the end of the day, what trauma and shame does do to us physiologically and biologically 
there's science behind it and it affects our relationships, it affects our lives, it affects our health, it affects our nervous system. And so I think just speaking about it helps a lot of women and men feel seen and heard and understood because I didn't even used to understand what anxiety or fight or flight. I didn't, I did think it was when a bear was attacking or something. I didn't understand, oh, this is why I get into freeze. This is why I get into fawn. This is why I'm behaving this way. This is why something like answering an email is overwhelming for me and my heart's pounding or going to a social event. Why am I feeling this way? It helps me feel understood. People like you talking about it and me researching it, me becoming a coach in this and getting credentials in this. If anything, it's helped me because I understand why I'm behaving the way I am or why I feel this way. And, and to me, that's what's important because I used to beat myself up and think, what's wrong with me? Or there's that's nothing wrong with you. A it's- lot of adolescents do, and a lot of parents don't have the tools. And right. a lot of people are very quick, which I'm very pro medication, obviously, if you are feeling any type of suicidal ideation or depression, but also a lot of people are very quick to go get a medication and then also relate to being, I'm medicated, I'm unwell. And sometimes just learning about yourself or learning about your nervous system, for example, that's a great example, can teach you, okay, my brain is literally doing this. When you talk about nervous system, our brains are, I love researching our brains because they're so powerful when it comes to our our nervous system and our body and, and basically... They're literally Every the greatest so, like, computer on earth. <laughs> when we are triggered or when we are like when, if you walk up to me still, I do have PTSD still. I'm not like a heal, heal all. And you tap me and I yeah. freak out. That's because anytime you're in discomfort, so say you go through a year of divorce, you've been uncomfortable for a year, your brain is on and it's not on in a positive way and it's growing your amygdala. Your amygdala is your, well, it's actually back here, is your fight or flight and it's releasing cortisol, it's releasing all these hormones, and it's basically trying to keep you safe. But when this grows, it keeps you in this space of easily agitated, easily stressed, and you're holding on to weight because your body doesn't know what it is. You're holding on to disease, you're holding on to inflammation. And what's also happening is your hippocampus is shrinking. So all these things that don't really matter, which they do matter, your memory, your day-to-day, your joy, is shutting down because... Your brain is telling you, you need to survive. You're in survival mode. If you need to survive and you need to be able to run away from something, so you're releasing adrenaline and cortisol and all these things, your memory doesn't really matter. That's how we're wired. But if you're in a prolonged state of this, it's going to catch up with you and you're going to end up with seven autoimmune diseases, or I don't even remember your number of autoimmune diseases, but an array of autoimmune diseases. I have 14 illnesses altogether. Yeah, but but you're going to end up unwell and not sleeping and with a bloated stomach and brain fog and ulcers and all these things. And then you're going to feel isolated and weird, Mm -hmm. but that's a normal response and reaction. And I think when we can discuss that and teach people, it's such a blessing because then you're like, oh, I'm not crazy and weird and brain (laughs) fog. Maybe a little weird, but that's fine. Yeah, I'm I think that there's so many people that are traumatized today, just so well, yeah. so traumatized, and narcissism is at an all-time high. People are hurting each other and in all kinds of different relationships at home and family relationships and romantic relationships, friend relationships. What do you think is the biggest cause of just like this trauma that everyone's experiencing now and this onset of narcissism? And I know people overuse the word a lot, but... it's a huge thing right now. It's very prevalent. It is prevalent. I do think the word is overused and I think often incorrectly used. 
but I understand why. And especially if you've been done dirty by someone, like when <laughs> someone does me dirty, it's very easy to be like, effing narcissist. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. However, I think it's, it's such a layered question because yeah. I was literally just talking about this too, but I think collectively we've been put through a trauma. So like COVID was a trauma. It was a mass mm-hmm. trauma. It doesn't matter if you didn't lose a family member and you were triggered because you hate masks and you hate the government. That's still a trauma. It doesn't matter if you, obviously it matters, but if you lost someone, that's a trauma. If you were locked in your home, isolated, all of it, seeing your children not in school, seeing how the world can be maybe more evil than we all thought. And I think that snowballed into other things, but I also think that we're in a society of disassociation. We're in a society of false dopamine. We're in a society of instant gratification. We're in a society of seeking financial or external vices in order to feel full. Mm -hmm. We're in a society that lacks spirituality and God, and we're shamed for religion. And when I look at these things, and I think, because people do me dirty all the time, and I really just don't talk about it because if I talked about how many times someone has done me dirty, I would have It's hard. You want to put the no emphasis time. on that? Then it, sometimes it grows if you put more energy into that. Yeah. You put more energy well, into good stuff. And I think the biggest takeaway, this is just for me, by the way. There's no science in my little notebook behind this. But when people do you wrong, when somebody is a narcissist, I've probably attracted a million narcissists. Not a million. I'm not that popular. But, You're an empath. <laughs> um, you have to... And this is a hard, I just did a podcast with Tana Amen and I want to give her credit because I don't want to steal her thing because I think it's so profound and I'm not this intelligent, mm-hmm. but I always used to use the word accountable and it was very triggering to someone like be accountable and it's okay. My husband was abusing me. How can I be accountable? What mm-hmm. was, yeah. But she said something, she said, you have to be responsible and responsibility is just the ability to respond. So anytime now somebody lets me down and I see like collectively how many just evils there are, I really take the time to just work on myself because it's very easy to get wrapped up in the evils of the world or, you know, a man that hurts you or a friend that hurts you or the friend group that's not there. But it's a very like large task that will ultimately help you and your family if you take that time and go into scripture, go into the gym, go into a walk on the beach and you ground. And I know it's easier said than done because it's when people piss me off, it's so Mm -hmm. easy to be like, "Ah." yeah. but it's also a huge notion of who you are in your character when you can say, listen, the world is messed up, but I can observe and not absorb and I don't have to be messed up. And again, I don't know. I love that I can observe and not absorb. Yeah. And I think because they say it's like not the water outside of the ship that sinks it. It's what comes yeah, in. So and that's, yeah. I used to have this thing, even with my aunt is like my best friend because we're the black sheep in our family. Aunt where we, aunt we know Aunt Susie. Susie. Aunt Susie, we love you. <laughs> and, but we used to always be like, why do we attract these people? And I'll never forget she had this friend I hated. And she met us out one night. It was a whole thing. But they were all at the Bay Club for the boat parade. And she was like, you can't come on our boat. And I was like, you're she is such a narcissist and we were talking about it and we were like why do we attract these people someone said that to you you can't come on our boat 86 from the boat and guess what what i'm gonna buy my own boat yeah you are that now it's so funny like years later the conversation wouldn't even go that way now if something like that even were to happen or derive we would be like okay right i don't want to be on that boat or that's a like anyone's poor behavior is a reflection of them and I know it's so easy to forget especially if you're feeling already bad about yourself or isolated or just in a sad circumstance but 
lean into healing yourself. And when you do that, I feel like it opens the doors for better. And, and it's it. hard when you're triggered or when someone's hurt you. But I think it's so incredible when you take that leap the other way. Absolutely. But, we definitely like attracts like in at a cellular level of like right. trauma and shame. I do believe that's why people like a lot of us around here in this room <laughs> attract a lot of narcissistic and abusive people. <laughs> I it, do. I just don't want to list them. I, I, I never right. want to disparage anyone Same. who gets sued. <laughs> you know who you are wherever you are. You yeah. know who you are. We know who Don't you are. The camera. Don't be dirty. But, karma. But karma. Right. But yeah, but you have to like rest in that. And yeah. you're a Christian and God has control of everything. And he totally. sees the bigger picture and he sees what path you're gonna take and what you're gonna learn and who you're gonna help with this. A thousand percent. And I think we have this job to do also as parents and we have children. And how do we raise kids so they're not going through these traumatic experiences because I feel like so many adults are traumatized right now and how do we not impart this on the children that we're raising because like I have boys I'm like I'll be damned if I'm going to raise some narcissistic no, boys I right? know I have like, three boys you know and I'm I mean? like I love that you guys both have boys and <laughs> yeah. how much they love I have three you. boys she has two and I'm not raising one to be like that I just right. love how much boys love their moms I know it is fun it is it's fun. so I sweet I don't have that luxury Oh, but oh, you're a baby girl. I don't have a girl, girl and I think that's no, there's a lot of really fine. special. We worry about when angel. it is that they meet a girl. We hope that it's a yeah. good girl and if they'll percent be run off into the, the sunset, right? <laughs> we don't know what's gonna happen with boys, right? <laughs> Girls, if they go, they don't usually worry, come I'll back. Make a right? call. Right. I am Russian a lot. <laughs> Just kidding. No talk of a call. Making a call. I know some people. <laughs> I think again it's just right. a loaded thing. Everything starts at home. Like right. I cannot worry about all of the parents I see doing horrific things. And I know the word mom shaming is so prevalent, but my big things I have a very small child and my big things are like health physical. So I don't give her a bunch of red dye and a bunch of stuff that causes ADHD. And I'm often reverse mom shamed as at this because all the moms are feeling judged by my rules and telling me I'm judging them. And I'm like, I'm genuinely not judging you. I'm just not giving my kid. You just triggered them. But they're probably learning all, from you too. Yeah. Not I don't think knows. so. I think a lot of people are in cognitive dissonance and very committed. Yeah, it's easier. It is. And I get that. Honestly, it's harder the more I've learned. And I'm like, no, you can't have that red Gatorade. And he's, mom, you can't have all that prime. They all want prime they right now. They all want that prime. I'm like, stop. <sighs> but you cannot have prime. Good. And then you're, they think I'm a, the mean mom. But it, it's, I think it's easier to let your kids have Cheetos and prime. But I've do. overheard my kids. Kingston tells his friends, that's not good. Yeah. Mom said they're stuck. start to hear him say that. I have a realistic yeah. expectation. <laughs> if you have a teenager and they're with all their friends and they're all drinking prime, of course, you don't want to be like the a-hole mom. Mine is very small. I still have right. control. One day I won't. And it's very easy. Everyone always tells me, well, just wait till she... I know. I'm not right. an idiot. Sometimes I'm a moron, but I know. <laughs> I was a teenager sneaking out, drinking... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was a bad teenager. But <laughs> my point is, like, health. I do no screen time. The screens are... the. Oh most terrible gosh, thing so bad. for children in the history of the world. We are statistically at the highest rate of depression, anxiety, suicidal mm -hmm. ideation, suicide attempts, and suicide in 12 to 35. 
we have children dying 300 plus a day in the same age range of fentanyl because they're getting pills off their phones, off Snapchat. It is an epidemic. And statistically, when we scan their brains and we watch them watch the phone or we give them a tablet, what we're doing is we're releasing copious amounts of dopamine by like the 300th percentile. And every stilled frame on a phone today versus 15 years ago to 30 years ago is one tenth to one twentieth of the time frame that it used to be. So if like you watched like Full House, like I'm in the nineties. Oh, I each, grew up on Full House. <laughs> each story frame was as fifteen seconds to fifteen minutes. So you were forced to sit there and focus. You're not Beginning, releasing middle and end. Yeah, and you're now not releasing have, now dopamine. They just flip, flip, flip. No, it's like YouTube Shorts. It's like quick. Kids now are derived and taught that things need to be fast. And each time they see a like on Instagram, and this is a statistic because I read them all and memorize them, so I don't because I'm not a doctor. Thank you to anyone who wants to point it out. Each time they do that, it releases this instant dopamine and it's not a dopamine that can be assessed in day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. It's a different type and it's not available. So if all day I'm sitting there on a screen or on a YouTube short or on a video game and I'm feeling like, huh, jitter, dopamine, chemical, and then I walk out into the world and I have none of this, they feel empty. They feel depressed. They feel anxious. And I wish more parents knew because I go out, I do judge this a little. I go out to lunch, for example, with my daughter and I know all kids are different. She could just be the miracle one and the next one's a terrorist. I hear it all. She can sit at lunch for two hours and she can eat lunch because she is excited about the leaf because it gives her dopamine because she didn't have cocoa melon, which is the worst thing for their, Mm -hmm. and again, I'm not judging if your kid did have cocoa melon. I understand, especially, and I never want to not note my privilege, especially if you are a single mom and you work three jobs and your kid is screaming. I get that too. I've thrown her in the playpen and wanted to rip my hair out and I'm not doing that. Of course, no judgment at all. But when these kids who are in homes, who don't have parents coming home, who don't have parents who, and they're scrolling all day, Mm -hmm. It's really messing up their neurochemistry and it's actually messing up the development of their brain. And it's also messing up the chemicals that coincide with just something like a circadian rhythm. They're not sleeping as well. And all of these things are backed by science. So this is not me judging, but I think if collectively parents could focus on those things, I know it is proven. Again, I'm sure my kid will still be 16 drinking prime, sneaking out to drink whiskey (laughs) with, I'm not saying I'm above it. No, they're all going to have a little, but But, I just want people to know that even those little subtle things will help your child immensely. And then the last thing, which is the biggest, which is just nervous system regulation. Mm-hmm. If you're a parent, I wish every parent had to go do a test on nervous system regulation prior to being a parent. I agree. It's, I, never, I never even knew that term until I think just like a few years ago. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I actually believe it. It is affect. It affects a lot more things like borderline personality, ADHD, even asthma. There's a lot of things that are more connected to n- your nervous system dysregulation mm-hmm. than we realize. Mm-hmm. And basically, I've been walking around with a dysregulated nervous system for many years and just didn't realize that's what was in the driver's seat of my life, to be honest. And I can see it now and healing. It helps to understand those things once you heal. And and now I know to help my children regulate their nervous system and help them cope with a really tough thing. Whereas if a five-year-old is left to deal with something really tragic or really hard or something really scary Mm -hmm. on their own, their nervous system gets dysregulated. They don't feel safe. They don't have someone helping them navigate through those emotions. And that will 
cause a lot of trauma for them. Whereas if you have a parent that goes, oh, honey, that was so scary. Are you okay? I'm so sorry. Like, you must have been terrified. I didn't have that growing up. And if you do that with your kid, something that is very traumatizing for one kid is not for another if they have a parent that helped them learn and they will take those skills with them into adulthood. Mm. So it is really important to help your children navigate tough emotions, regulate their nervous system and things like that. Yeah. And shame, which I know is a big thing of you, a big thing of you. I have shame. Shame to sparkle. This is our shame to sparkle right here. You are the poster child living proof that shame to sparkle. Your mess can become a message. And that's I what love I love that. about you. It's not a good one. I love that. I did like not the, make that up. What are they called? But and I, I, I read it somewhere. Of children, but I do want to say, but shame. I know some of that stuff. Like, how do we help our children? Just so. on the topic of them, I do know how hard it is to be home, and I have had those days where everything is going wrong, and I never want mothers to hear me and not know. I don't empathize wholeheartedly with that. I just think those little changes, mm-hmm. because we get caught up in a routine or a thing, and I don't. I hate seeing someone's child hurting and maybe there could be a better way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so hard as parents even fighting with a spouse. It's You want to be hurt and you want to punch them in the face. Maybe just maybe, maybe don't. not all spouses, but right. it's if you have a child there, you have to be able to say, listen, we're going to revisit this. And you have to be able to turn it from an eight to a two. And I know that it's hard if because I used to live in a dysregulated nervous system mm-hmm. and if something triggered me, an eight would go to an 800 and I never yelled. I just shake and like I shut down, like I'm more freeze. And like the little children looking up at that, learning that response is like, we can't elicit that response, but it's hard and it takes years of work. And I wholeheartedly understand again, if you're coming home from a long day of work, you probably don't want to read about your nervous system. Right. And I was, you know, that's why I think it's good to just talk about it as much as humanly possible till Right. People want to punch me in the face. Right. <laughs> Never, not you. Right. What are what's some of the what's the best way to to heal from shame or a dysregulated nervous system? How have you healed? Telling your story has been like very cathartic for you. Actually, the trying to re-traumatize me to be honest because no. <laughs> you go through it again, right? You're experiencing, but it, all over it's again. a blessing in the end. I think just looking into our triggers. Anytime you have that thought of somebody or something and you're really feeling that dirty, aching, disgusting trigger, just really looking into it and thinking, what is it about me that's making me feel so dirty by somebody else's behavior? Because we only have control. We're our own vessel. We only have control over ourselves. And it's very easy to forget that, especially when we've been through something horrific, we likely want to control outcomes. I know I Mm -hmm. do. So I'm not judging that. That was another thing I learned I was doing is ending something early or quitting something or I I would control the outcome because I was so anxious about the unknown and and how it was going to, the outcome was going to be. So that was another, it's a learning curve. Obviously I had to go to the school of hard knocks, but I didn't understand why I was running away from so many things. And it was because I wanted to control the outcome because the unknown was everything too scary. Was a, everything felt out of control. Right? Out of control. So if you could control one you thing, control you feel like you have control over something. Yeah, and you know the ending. You, it's right. it's too scary. Living in your primal brain was too that's, yeah, yeah. But that's why still to this day, I can't watch a new show or movie. Like, it's literally a trauma You watch the response. old ones, right? I can Wait, rewatch the ones you know. movie. Oh. Because you like to know I have you to know. know the outcome. Yeah. Like, even right. if we go to a movie theater, I have to, which I really don't because my PTSD, I don't really like dark rooms. Um, 
I have to Google the ending because I can't. You do. The it risk of anxiety. The risk of seeing a loss. The control goes yeah. that. I guess it's pretty shallow. It's not that deep, but no, it's just a trauma response, and that's. But no, don't shame yourself for even that because, for me, I would get anxiety over where I'm going to park going somewhere. I don't want to go if I don't know where to park or well, that's totally things normal. like that. I have like, thought. those are. Um, they're just yeah, nervous system and and trauma responses and little things. The little things. Do you that have I any of these little like? Works. I'm just trying to think of that right now. I, I don't know. Nothing that's. I was looking at you curious, and you read my brain. Right. <laughs> have a, mm. Yeah, you were like, okay, Lizzie's well, I'm healthy. She's really kind of quiet I'm over emotionally here. very healthy. You guys no, are not. But, no, uh, but I just, I, I haven't experienced the things that you guys have experienced, and to the extent in my adult life, my childhood, like we, Lindy and I have talked about this. My childhood was very happy. And yeah. I have lots and lots of happy memories. And I'd have to really think hard if there was a moment or two where I felt like alone or lost. My parents were really good, really awesome, very present parents and very involved. And I was a Christian ever since I can remember my life. Mm -hmm. I think the, the times that I feel traumatized or things happen to me were in my adult life. In my 20s, in my early 20s, I was always someone that was going pageants and dancing on stages performing I had one of those kind of perfectionist type things valedictorian and it's like I had to be on top I had to mm -hmm. be had to be straight A's had to be this had to be per and getting out of that whole perfectionist thing not that my parents pushed that on me because I think that's a lot of things that happened with parents and family dynamics too so that wasn't something that really bothered me either but there was, once I became a young adult and I moved out to LA and realized when I'd go to auditions, I was like, wow, every hot brunette that's like, hot, every hot busty brunette in LA that looks just like me is here. There's 35 of me, right? And so it's just like a very humbling experience, but you have to realize that you can't be perfect. And that whole perfectionist, and I did a little bit of people pleasing, but the, the little quirky things that you guys are talking about. I don't know. I fit. It'll be something will hit me and I'll be like, oh, that's a kind of a quirky thing. But there's nothing that really stands out. That's a blessing, though. I guess so. I know, but I always feel like it's a blessing. Oh, I need to have one of those. <laughs> no, Lizzie needs more trauma response. Yeah, does anyone lighten up? No. It's funny too because in the daytime, like day to day, whenever I do something weird. I say, because I try and teach myself, but I say, I'm like, that was a trauma response. That was a trauma response. And I say it in the car. Like, I'll say it on a call. Like, I'll be on a Zoom and I'm it's on mute. I'm like, oh, I just did a trauma response, but I have to say it out loud. So right. maybe one day you'll do something weird and right. text me. <laughs> I will. I'll be like, oh my gosh, it was a trauma response. <laughs> no, but that's a blessing. And yeah. you know what? That's a blessing to have that and to be able to say, oh, I was in this weird perfectionism thing, but I, I outgrew it. Yeah. When I can look back on it and gather the wisdom versus I'm not shackled to it and that's not my identity. Just getting through that and I don't know, just I think relationships can be. I think you've had a little trauma in I've relationships. Had some, I've had some trauma yeah. in relationships. Yeah. Just un, when you date unhealthy individuals. Yeah. And you're, they bleed a onto you. a healthy person and you're with someone who's unhealthy and you're like want to fix them and fix them and it's, ooh, this person's really traumatized and it's like affecting my life. Now I'm becoming traumatized and it's that's that whole dance where you have to cut the cycle because it becomes like a toxic cycle and you have to just like peace out. Okay. Yeah. Because you can start. See, I have a trauma response where I'm like, allow me to heal you. Yes. <laughs> right. And fawn and be codependent because I could not heal my parents maybe or this right. friend, but I can heal you. 
And right. that is probably where we are more similar. Yes, very. <laughs> She's like, cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> it takes, well, no, it, it doesn't go that easily. It, it's, we do the dance, right? It's, yeah. it's hard to just cut it, but I want to, but that, but it, it takes a lot of, no, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. Yeah. I do that too. The whole fixing things. So I'm like, I'm in a good place. So I can help you. I can help you. I can show you some wisdom and some things and some tools and whatever. And it usually, it's, it, it, it's to my demise in the end. It always is. I wish, that's also another universal, while I'm giving unsolicited advice, <laughs> I wish everyone knew, just fix yourself right. for every hour. I just also said this to someone, sorry, I've my brain, I don't sleep, but devote it to yourself. Because the best thing you can do is up-level and then like-attract like, but putting it in and pouring in is just going to empty your cup. And you cannot fix someone else. Could not agree more for sure. And I instead of relationships being 50 50, it's 100 100. And that's where a sweet spot for a healthy relationship would be working on yourself, being the best you can be. You're going to attract better, you're going to do better and be better, and a better example for your kids, too, mm -hmm. which is what we all as mothers want. Yeah. So I think the big jumping back over to our children. I think there's homes that might not be as healthy, and then we have this screen time. So it's just this combination. Now that kids, say you grew up in a home that you did, which you did, but then you had all these screens to run to, but you didn't have that at the time, right? So what do you think is happening to our children as, because they're coping with screens, right? We had like a TV. Right. I know we had TVs, but we were watching television <laughs> shows and family shows. <laughs> but now it's like you get no, on and it's like YouTube. My kids are on there. They watch YouTube. I think it's but... like anything. And I know I say it with such like vigor where people think I'm judging and I again like just want to over exaggerate that I'm not judging I think it's just like anything you have to be able to take a step back and think is this helping or hurting them and is the 10 minute argument or the ruined dinner because they're hate me tonight worth the maybe prolonged issue and I know I know because I was a teenager and I was the worst teenager missing a party or because at the time it was like you had to go to a party and it was like the end of the world. Like you would think the end of the world. But in hindsight, having certain regulations and rules is a form of love. You look back and you think, like, my dad was gone. He lived out of the way for work. He lived out of the country. But when he would come in, he would be like, every Saturday night, you have to come be with me. And I would have to miss the party. There was always a party in high school. Right. And I hated him. But as an adult, I'm like... It's really cool he loved me enough to put those barriers on me because not a lot of people gave me barriers. And I don't know. I know, listen, I'm not an expert. I only have a baby and I love people are like, just wait, I have four and you don't know anything. I totally respect that. So I can't really give any prolific advice other than just if there's even the smallest thing, the smallest change you can make instead of buying the red Gatorade and to buying the sparkling Spindrift, it's cheaper actually just because sometimes people bring up cost or instead of doing the one thing and those little changes really do add up. Like, you know, the saying, the little things one day become the big things. And I don't think you need to have unhealthy habits or be like a granola mom or an eating disorder mom or all of these labels. Of course not. I just think it's okay to maybe instead of one hour of video game, it's 45 minutes. And then the last 15 minutes you guys run outside. And I'm not saying like you guys, your family, but just in general. Just put parameters on mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And again, I don't have teenagers and I know from myself, God's going to give me, I already know because I was a bad teenager. <laughs> 
You might um, be surprised though. Yeah, but you never. You I dealt was the with the worst, worst stuff, teenager. No, but at the time I was like, everything was great, but I was the worst teenager. <laughs> so again, but you were acting out, and I'm sure with both. Well, I wasn't acting out. I wasn't like out doing drugs or smoking weed. No, I was just like, I mean, if there was, I'm social. Right. If there was a thing, I was gonna get there. Like I was like hitchhike. <laughs> I did hitchhike to like the beach. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Girl. I think one of the biggest conversations that's in my house right now, because my oldest is 13 and we don't allow him to have Snapchat. And that's like the social media of choice for the, for, that's the oh, first yeah. social media that kids go to. Right. Um, so my kids don't have social media, but that's the one that they talk about. Right. And Preston yeah. is 13 and he's like, why can't I get Snapchat? Everybody has Snapchat. What age do you think children should like, should be doing social media? I think 13 is very young. <laughs> I think these days it's pretty typical for a 13 year old to be on social media, but it is young. And I, I think don't it's think it's typical good. too. I don't, again, I don't have valuable insight because I think it's also everything is circumstantial. You might put six 13 year olds in a room and this one is very advanced and this one is very scholarly and this one is on drugs and it might be something different for all of them maybe one of them is a total introvert and that's their one mean of oh, communicating right. and maybe one of them with things like that i never like to give a blanket because i could be wrong we're not one size fits all yeah it's just an opinion yeah like for me my opinion is as long as you can wait with the screen time for right. my daughter i always said i'm gonna wait till a year and then i made it to a year and i was like okay i'm gonna make it two year and a half right and then I made it there, and then I was like, I'm going to make it till two. And then I was so angry because Phil let her watch this little Russian cartoon called Kolobok. <laughs> and I knew because she was singing the song. And I was you like, were like, mm -hmm. where did she learn that song? <laughs> and it's a 10-minute cartoon, and it's horrifically violent because Russian cartoons are horrific. Oh, no. And Kolobok dies at the end. And I was like, now she's Ooh. learning death. <laughs> but... He stole that from me and I was so angry. And so that's now once a day or once every few days, we let her watch a Kolobok. I mean, if he does behind my back, I wouldn't know. But it's things like that are in your control. You try and control and things. And, and I would realize that we can't control every little thing. It's hard. Yeah. And it's such a hard conversation because it's loaded and it really does depend on the kid. And your kids yeah. are little angels. They're very innocent. They're especially Preston. For yeah. a 13-year-old boy, he's very they, innocent. They love you so much. Sweet boys. I think it's also harder with girls because... Well, then they start doing the Snapchat, right? And then they're sending the boys pictures of themselves, right? And then it disappears. Mm -hmm. Are they saving yeah. the pictures? What are they sending? And the body image stuff right. with young girls. Yeah. I don't remember the number now because I'm so excited to be with you guys. I forgot everything. <laughs> and I'm not as professional. Sorry. That's okay. But, like, girls have the most horrific body image issues because of the Snapchat filters and the Instagram. And mm -hmm. I think just wait as long as possible. But... I know what it's like. I, I think I remember what it's like to be a teenager so profoundly where it's when everyone has something and you don't, it I feels like earth shattering. It really does. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember crying when I couldn't go to. Yeah. Um, and around 13, I th it's, it is 12. Around 12, there's a part of their brain that changes and it's in the ventral cortex. I, I could have the word wrong the way I'm pronouncing it, where compliments and peer approval is like the most heightened it will ever be in your mm. whole life. Right and around for, that adolescent age. And so that's why you have to compliment them a lot at that age. But right. when they're not getting that or feeling that, it's to them a much bigger devastation. That's why if you tell a 12-year-old something like a, a cr criticism, 
Right. It's it's very earth shattering. And if you tell somebody who's emotionally calm <laughs> a criticism, it's cool. Like, yeah, my son came home. He's mom, this girl at school said I'd be ten out of ten if I got a haircut. And I'm like, what? Okay. He's like, Who's this girl? I'm like, who is yeah. that's exactly that was my first call. question. I was like, who is this girl? <laughs> I need to call her mom. Who but, do I need? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what kind of comment is that? Just that kidding. They're probably learning it at home. Just he wanted totally I think he healed. came to me like that was a good thing, right, mom? That I was a 10 out of 10. Oh, he was like, I think it's a compliment. The kids are okay. She had to slide that in just to make her not seem so. And then he was know. like, I need to get a haircut, which, <laughs> I mean, I he does need to get a haircut. It is, his hair is getting really long. It's covering up his eyes, but. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Whatever he likes. Yeah. But. I'm trying to think. What things do you see in the future for you to continue this? I feel like you've done such a great job of. I feel like I'm the only one talking. And I know. So we're all just I know. We're just I feel like really weird. Like beautiful Lacey. I feel so bad for your listeners. You can even No, listen. they want to listen I feel to bad you. for you guys that I am just like, <laughs> and they're going to be like, Are you kidding? so interruptive. I'm sorry. They want to listen to you. Each question you ask me, I'm like, my brain is just on the thing. So sorry if I'm. That's okay. And no, you know way, so chatty, much and you've lived chatty, so Kathy. Much. I don't You're know the premise either because I've never seen an episode. Because it's not out yet. Yeah. So usually I'll watch the episode and I'll be like, is it a conversation? Is it an interview? Same. I'm just. Yeah. I'm we just wanted to have interview. a conversation with you. We and did want to have a yeah. conversation with you. And okay. just, I and feel so like you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to trauma and shame. <laughs> and we wanted to really stress the importance of physical, mental, and spiritual health. And we felt that, you know, a lot about mental health and, yeah. and you've been through a lot. You've healed a lot. And even same, I, on my Instagram, I get a lot of girls asking me, you know, saying, sharing their experiences with me yeah. and they've been through a 100%. lot and they always ask me how to heal. And so, you know, I have some ways and modalities and things that I have done to get to this point and I don't feel I'll ever be fully healed. I think that it's something, I'm, it's always going to be a work in progress. I'm going to have to learn my triggers and always do things to keep me grounded and healthy my whole life probably. What are from some of your favorite things that you've done to heal and that you'll continue to do to keep yourself maintained and Wait, healthy? Wait, so tell me your favorites first. Okay. I'm a big advocate that Jesus Christ has been oh, yeah. my healer. My He is my greatest healer, pharmacist, and doctor and friend and everything. And to me, I, a little meditation, but more on the word for me is a little more when I meditate or when I am for prayer and all of that, for me, it's through God. And so I read my scriptures and I meditate on the word. And I can honestly tell you, even growing up in an extremely religious environment, I've never had the relationship I have with Jesus I do now. And it actually gives me the peace that I've never had. It set me free from bondage. And he gives me the confidence and self-love that I've never had either, knowing I'm loved by the person that made this whole world. Mm -hmm. And and then I do a lot of weird kooky things. <laughs> I love the kooky. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I do everything from uh, castor oil packs to all the biohacking, <laughs> a lot of biohacking, uh, coffee enemas. I know you. <laughs> so I um, love talking about enemas and colonoscopy. I love a great coffee enema I love talking too. about butt stuff. <laughs> like every podcast, somehow we're talking about enemas. It just goes this direction, but they yeah. have. They're of, so helpful. I need do. Well, everything starts in your gut, the microbiome in it's, your stomach. It it's it's your second brain. Your gut, it's your second brain. They're mm -hmm. directly connected. For me, learning was a huge part in healing for me. When I was growing up, nobody talked about anything. Like 
mental health stress. It was just a very robotic upbringing. It's go to church, believe in God, do what you're supposed to do or you're bad. And we eat at this time and you go to school and you do this. I didn't even understand what depression or anxiety or... It was just super black and white. It was very black and white and nobody helped me navigate through any feelings. And I basically feel like I raised myself. And one of the things, and then I just went on autopilot. I started having kids. I was 21 and I was just raising them. And I put a lot into my relationships. I think that's where I escaped is I'd put it into boys, like men, like my relationships. I was like a love addict or something. And that's where I got hyper-focused and I could escape everything else. For me, learning about nervous system dysregulation, I had never even heard that. And I'm like, oh, I feel understood. This makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what anxiety was. I was like, that's why I can't breathe. <laughs> like, why is there not? I always why do I feel nauseous? Why is there not one semester in high school? It would about do this instead. There's something I learned that I don't remember. Life changing enough to not even remember. It, it would change our society completely if like kids the could Confucius learn. time cut in half and yeah. give half of it to nervous system. Like I remember right. in psychology class learning about okay, this narcissist guy loved his reflection right. and I was like okay so he's egotistic and stuck up like I didn't learn about personality disorders yeah. or abuse that's a hard thing even with the word narcissist like so many people are like she's a narcissist he is watered down and over he posts selfies all day right. and I'm like that's not that's but not there's narcissistic personality and then there, there's yeah. narcissistic traits there's nine and then that there's you, narcissistic personality well, also too, and then there's it other it could also be a trigger right. if you're mad because someone posts 20 selfies a day what's going on with you who cares what they post right all day? turn around right. and look at yourself like I don't care what people post all day I like the 20 selfies because to me it has right. nothing to do with me I know that takes a lot of time and energy in years because I think maybe 10 years ago I'd be like oh she thinks she but who, who cares, cares? Who cares? Well, I'm a little triggered what? by everybody calling everyone a narcissist to be honest because I have been in exactly when you actually know narcissists no, I, think that's, why, I think that's why the word I always want to preface because probably the same I think when you have experienced being devalued and love bombed and you're having like when you experience narcissistic abuse your brain chemicals are in the worst it uproar. Your it's brain. actually it's horrendous. I had my brain scanned by Dr. Amen, but when you're in a narcissistic, and he had this on the wall, we talked about it immensely. Wow. It's the same as coming home from war. Not all cases, but they've done no. It does. So one of the people that I really value, which everyone hates them, so please don't judge me, but I love Khloe Kardashian because she's experienced like kind of the same amount of trauma as me and she's a public She's very figure. open about it. And, and like people that. always bash her looks or her filters. I think a I lot of people like Khloe. I think they I all like, secretly like Khloe a little bit. I like her. I don't I like care. Her. I don't care that it's a Kardashian. I just like the backstory because to me, I've... I can relate to a lot of it. But anyways, um, we were talking about her brain scan. And it's like when you've experienced something like that, it is like you're coming back from war. So when you yeah. are healing from that, once you've healed, maybe it's not as triggering. But And someone's this person's a narcissist, it does feel a little one-off. I think for or, someone that's really, truly been in the thick yeah. of it and a couple of times, more right. than once. <laughs> and if you've attracted it, you're going to attract it again. Until you heal. It's yeah. your wiring. Mm. I'm very much empathetic. I'm very empathetic to you. I remember meeting you and feeling that way about you. And I can, I don't judge people, but I felt your energy was very similar to mine in a codependency. And so I feel for you in experiencing that because I've experienced that. And it's different than someone just being 
No, I think that's what I was trying to say in the beginning is even if there aren't words spoken, I know Lacey gets it. Like she understands it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I just, I also know what it's like to her. I can read the table. Like I can tell if someone's stressed because I think I spent my whole life hypervigilant. Hyper <laughs> yeah. Like I can tell if someone's stressed about the bill and I will go secretly hand them the card. I can tell if you're like, I not. I wouldn't say yeah, I have hypervigilance comes from trauma. I feel childhood. people's energy yeah. too, like before they, but not everybody can read the but room. Sometimes it's more of a survival. So if you're a child raised in a lot of chaos and unpredictability, or you're in relationships where the person is very unpredictable, yeah, you don't want your feet to be you, wrong. So you're always reading you the room. Like it's hypervigilant. Like I'm like that too, but yeah. I don't have the same kind of things, but I'm always really hypervigilant about. Yeah. And how you can also feel. be just an empathetic or yeah. a sensitive person. Yeah. You can be a hypersensitive. Yeah. HSP. Sensitive person, mm -hmm. you can be, but I can feel that I'm not very. I don't have great discernment. I still mm. befriend all of them, and I'm like, oh that, my gosh, no. that's something I've really Same. just tried to do in just the last year. And finally, right. let me just be everyone's right. Friend. I like a lot of friends, though. I know there's always the meme of the circle should be small or the faker you are, but I disagree highly. And I think the more community and communication, and you learn about people, you grow. And that's me. I'm right. a freak. <laughs> let's so talk about love again no she just loves love i love to love too i love a lot of people too but you were talking about dr amen and you're you love brains like to I study them brains. so interesting so my son had dyslexia and he doesn't anymore he went through a program and did the That's neuroplasticity amazing. because they're doing all these incredible things with neuroplasticity yeah. do brain we mapping just, we do all this it was a three it was like he was in this program for three years that's incredible. And this different therapy, they start use, utilizing the weaker yeah. parts of your brain to make them stronger. My question is, have you seen anything like this? And why aren't we using it more for traumatized people to do neuroplasticity? Because that's part of your brain, right? That's that's traumatized yeah. and, your and you can strengthen your brain through different... There's an array things. of... There's an array of answers to that. And like with neuroplasticity, you can do simple things at home. For example, like right. using your left hand to brush your mm -hmm. teeth to create new neural pathways. It's remembering to do it because we're in right. an autopilot. Yeah. Whenever I try to do that, I, I'm, oh yeah. yeah and then, and then it, my teeth. And yeah, right. Really, you're like, I'm in a rush. Wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> it's harder than you think. goldfish <laughs> that I just chopped. But um, I have to fight the urge to just my, hand. I'm like, just trying I'm to keep my back shoulder, my shoulder back. The new thing I learned. You look beautiful. That's neuroplasticity. I'm trying to learn. You look beautiful. I'm learning I was giving them my grandma's tips of little teapot. So we all have our left hand back because of Lucy's grandma. There are so many things you can do an array of things for your brain and brain mapping and brain scans and you can microdose and you can do ketamine. For me, the ketamine was so immensely helpful. Like I did this event and had my doctor come speak because I've never experienced healing on a level like that. And I've done everything. Like if you want to try a weird healing thing, I've done it. I spent all my money in my 20s, but I've done it. And so I love that I wrote it all down. That's why I have my folder because I love writing the price of everything. And if it was total BS, because I don't want any other women to be like swindled, but a lot of it is FDA. A lot of it is our government. A lot of it oh, is yeah. not to be conspiracy, but a lot of it is a pharmaceutical incentive. For example, the ketamine Johnson has the patent and to get these regulations and to have it be something readily available where you could go spend $30 copay isn't available because of this. So it's $600 a session. How many young people in trauma can go? So that's a huge right. privilege and financial fee. I know somebody that spent $3,000 Can you explain ketamine? 
Because not everybody 3, knows 000. what that is. They go up north to the lady up there, and it's oh, it's cool. three thousand for the whole thing where yeah. I went. But I've for never like done eight, I've never done eight that, sessions over how long? Oh my gosh, you should do it, everyone. I believe. Will you explain what that is? Because everyone, everyone knows do what it. it is. Yeah, I don't fully understand. Is it? It's not a neurotropic, like a mushroom or something. No, is something because different? It's, because it's stabilized. Where I'm the scared sh- of. <laughs> no, so I've never even taken mushrooms. I took okay. a Molly once at Coachella. I think it's and than mushrooms. <laughs> I know, but the inability to turn it off, and then I ate a weed cake once. Sorry, <laughs> and I called nine one one and my mom. <laughs> I really hate not having control. So I know. For example, I measure my drinks. I know I can have two more. I don't even like being drunk because I don't like not being in control. Same. So like with drugs, when people used to be like, just microdose, just take like this, I would be like, okay, whatever. Good luck. I was cajoled into doing it from Aunt Susie. Okay. And she pressured me. Wow, a lot about Aunt Susie. She pressured me for a year because we're very similar. We're the two in our family who really wanted to. And... I wouldn't do it. And she was... But this is the ketamine. Yeah. And she was upset. She was like, you need to do it. And I was like, there's no way. Like, even now I laugh about how stern I was against it because it's not that serious when you do it. But but I built it up as being this crazy psychedelic thing. And it's not. So finally, I booked doing it. I think I thought it was. So no, they put in an IV. Yeah, explain it. And it's at Hogue. Oh. And the doctor who did mine is a board certified, triple board certified anesthesiologist from Cedars who works through Hogue. It's not like you're in a basement doing like special K because my sister-in-law. See, Google, I, I, I feel like I a lot of like people hear K. this ketamine and they think, I do. She Googled the word ketamine yeah. and sent it to me and was like, is this what you do? And it was like special K parties. Yeah. Like, no. no, I was at your event where you talked about doing it and the doctor was there and everything. And I still was like, Ooh, that sounds really scary. I, I feel like she's over there hallucinating. So I'm going to make this your birthday gift or Christmas gift. I'm going to take you and treat you to one because I feel like everyone should do okay. one. I don't. So what yeah, happens I just don't know to you about when it. you do it? You. Will you go if I take you? I think so. I want to know first what, what like, Lizzie. Okay. So, so I would you, go if I knew it wasn't. So I'm not sure if I agree on a spiritual level with ayahuasca, for example. Is it like an ayahuasca thing? No. So that's what no. I'm wondering. So that's where I so want. So I agree with anything that can profoundly impact the neuroplasticity of your brain. Okay. I could never do ayahuasca or the frogs I'm that ter- bite you. No, and that's I'm nature. terrified of that. Um, yeah. That how, stuff scares me. But I'm also a, a toad P-U-S-S-Y. I don't know the profanity. <laughs> I am not going to do anything where I cannot regulate it. Yeah. So this is regulated. If you start to feel unsafe, like the first time I did it, I started to feel unsafe. They pushed saline and then oh. I was fine. I was just like, oh. Okay. Wait a minute. What, what do you, what, how do you feel unsafe? What is the experience? Okay. <laughs> I mean, just, come on, lazy. Did not know we were going this direction. Okay. okay. No, I'm talking very I did a podcast on it with a doctor because I'm not, again, a PhD and I never want to claim to be. That's okay, but you have an But he has the stats. So if I misquote any, there may be like a 2% off Google. Come for her. No, because I. Yeah. There are all of these drugs for depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, addiction, and they're all translated to the same part of our brain and what happens is i know i feel like i'm talking so much i'm sorry no what happens is when you go through a trauma 
our brain is, this is like what EMDR does, but our brain is essentially made up of two, I'm going to say it in like layman's terms, two filing cabinets. And one is in the front of your brain, mm -hmm. so to speak. And it's a filing cabinet you need every single day. So I have this filing cabinet that tells me, get in the car, put in the key, brush my teeth, brush just my hair. Right, your limbic system, yeah. just okay, your day-to-day -day conscious. I'm explaining it in like the most easy way, but you guys know I that get I, it. yeah. Okay. Then we have our deep subconscious, our memories, and that's something we don't need to access, right? right. And that's a different filing system in a different part of so our brain. Your amygdala, your primal brain. Exactly. Your, an your animal brain. Mm -hmm. So what happens is all of these little benign moments in our life get filed back here. I can't tell you what I had for lunch last Wednesday or some party we were at six years ago, but Right. I can tell you the day of my accident. I remember what I remember the socks I was wearing. I remember this because wow. it was filed here. And the reason it was filed here is to protect me. Because if you experience something so horrific, we are wired for protection. It's going to consistently live front of mind in our conscious mind. If somebody comes up to you in the Costco parking lot with a gun and you're in space C, you're going to remember anytime you park what happened, how it happened, and you're going to have this deep subconscious belief. And it could be with anything, even not a huge thing like a gun, with a relationship, with a, you know. Right, and your brain doesn't know whether it's happening right now or in the past. And so what so that's the ketamine does, and again, I'm explaining it in like layman's terms, but it takes you in. And you, it's an IV he administers with ketamine. And for mine, he put a benzo in it, which is like a Xanax or an Ativan. So a benzo is a classification of any type of calmer. And because I was so anxious, I was like, I'm going to die. Like, you so to I think anything's going to make me die. So I don't even like going under. <laughs> but it's not like that now that I've done it or I wouldn't advocate for it because I'm a big baby. And I actually respect anything you advocate for because I know Lacey has done yeah, I researched it for a year. Like she's I, probably done it if she's going to talk about so it. So you have this experience in a in the hospital. You're in a medical building. You're in a doctor's office, and he sits there with you with a clipboard, and you have a weighted blanket on and an eye cover, and like an ears and cozy socks, and it's just like the coolest ambiance. And you put the IV in, and you just think about something that makes you feel triggered or unsafe. That's what I did at least, and then you'll have memories just being moved and what it's doing is it's changing oh, wow. our neuroplasticity oh, so for okay. me I didn't know that I didn't have this crazy thing or this psychedelic for me my experience which I talked about on the podcast with him and again he will give much more if you want to listen not to plug myself but he gives the real statistics and numbers because it's just Dr. Amen no this is my ketamine doctor okay. but he oh, gives good. so for instance if an SSRI like mm -hmm. a antidepressant mm -hmm. is an SSRI so left Paxil right their percentage rate of success is very low. And the clinical surrounding it, it's like a 1 in 30, 1 in 40 success oh. rate with a majority of on-market SSRIs. It's a trillion-dollar industry. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to see a child come in and be like, Medicaid, give them a Zoloft. Medicaid, yep. Like I went to the OB the other day and I was telling him I have bad PMS. And he was like, I'm going to put you on Zoloft. And I was like, I don't need – My OB tried putting me on Zoloft too. What is Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I can't like, get no. – I couldn't get a Xanax to save my life. No, not Xanax. Zoloft. Yeah. I couldn't get anything from any of my doctors. Okay. They want to put me on Zoloft. I, it's very normal. I don't know. I don't my know. doctors Maybe I just won't medicate me. And I don't know how Maybe you guys you have got a great all... doctor. I don't know, but so, I switch. It's for the best. You don't uh, need, I don't know. Not that I need anything, but I've, heard, I've gone through weird times and I'm like, yeah, of I course. Think I need and something. And they're like, Listen, well. I've gone through weird, like I had weird postpartum. If you right. need, I'm not against it. Not at all. But the success rate in ketamine in every clinical, in every case study is 
Wow. Within one to three uses, and again, you'll have to listen to him, 85% with suicidal ideation, 90% with anxiety disorder. So I have anxiety. I don't have depression. I know that it's harrowing. I've just never, I suffer with anxiety. So because of my accident, for instance, if there's like a that in the night, I'm not sleeping for three nights. And I have a knife. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a freak. I don't like to drive at night. And I really don't like that about myself, but it's something I struggle with. So when I went in, he put the IV in. Long story long. Let's get to the plot. And I just laid there with my eyes shut and I was thinking like calm thoughts. And I just, it was like, I was me and like a dream, like a daydream. I walked through a room Mm -hmm. and it was the weirdest phenomenon. But basically I walked into my childhood house and it was like, I could hear like my parents fighting and it was like me as a little girl just sitting on my bed. And I used to just sit on my bed when my parents would fight and it was like peaceful. It wasn't, and he said, nobody has a really bad one there. And I just grabbed her by the hand and I was like, Hey, you're safe. You don't need to experience this. Like I'm here. You deserve to feel safe. You do not deserve this. And it was like the most beautiful, profound thing. That's really sweet. No, you're really healing your inner child for me. And that's probably my wound, but then it ended. It was like 45 minutes. And then do they make it end or do you can make it end if you want to end? I made it end because I was like, I don't like feeling out of control. And I didn't feel ever out of control, but then they just put saline in. And then I did the whole series and each series got less of something where I was feeling like mourning and more like I was feeling empowered. The last one I did it, the whole theme of it, because I write notes while I do, I have to write because no writing is very cathartic, but I'm like laying there writing. So it's like, but the whole time I wrote, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. Like all that matters is God. You're a speck in this universe. Mm -hmm. Nobody, the whole thing of my very last one was like, because I'm people pleaser. It was just like, none of this is that serious. What's serious is you're just fulfilling your thing that God gave you. But the first one was this huge, profound thing of my childhood. And I feel so grateful for it. Mm. I'm really an advocate That's advocate cool. for it. A lot of people, when they're, they, their trauma response is to forget. They don't remember stuff. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. Do you think that ketamine probably would maybe bring some of that stuff out that they never acknowledged or couldn't remember? Or- repressed memory? I think yeah, it depends think. on the person. I did have three or four repressed memories, like the second one. But they weren't bad. It was just... Like there was this weird purple house my parents used to take me to and I just thought of it and I was like, that's weird. It was just a weird purple memory. house. Yeah. Just some weird purple house that used to have weird Christmas lights, but I've never remembered it. And I remember, I was just cool that I'm remembering things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I had one really bad memory, but I'm happy I had it because. Sometimes you need to get it out and purge. Yeah. yeah it so. was just like a weird thing, but I'm happy I remembered it mm-hmm. because I feel like it processed. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then there's that whole thing too, where you sound like a drug. Addict. No, you don't sound like a drug. Addict. But a lot of people are at the. At I thought the it was like a hallucinogen. I didn't know. And they don't know so. what they don't know what and to do. And I think it's the like, amount. Like do, they can right? start you. It can go again. I don't know the numbers. Zero to a hundred. Like they started me at forty, right. and then I went up to fifty, and then sixty. Mm. But like my aunt started last time at eighty, and she's yeah. totally and she's like a sensitive like me. I always mm. say we're delicate. Yeah. yeah, like you're delicate. delicate. That's delicate. what my mom always says. She's you're you're delicate. delicate like I'm not yeah. going anywhere. If I have two drinks, yeah. I'm blacked out. Like Sorry. I cannot. I don't want to do any. The third drugs. one I regret. I'm like no. The yeah. third one we joke is like bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for right. sure. I'm so, like I'm, at this point, I don't want. I'm really a prominent advocate for like I really believe in it. Mm-hmm. I wish every veteran could have access. I wish every woman who's been in an abusive relationship could have access because even the pain I was holding from the way certain men have treated me in my life, 
The third one, I was like, oh, I'm safe. This was a me thing. What I did in 10 years of EMDR was like two ketamine sessions. Well, that's a really good thing that you bring up. Why aren't they giving this to veterans? They've been in Afghanistan. They've seen their buddies all get blown up, the horrendous things. They suffer. They suffer. And there's not really any type of... That's what, like I just did the Hopeaholics podcast. I love them. They're the funniest guys. You guys have to go on their podcast. They do scholarships for ketamine for veterans. And they gave me a scholarship to give to someone. It was so generous. amazing. Thank you so much for coming. I love you guys. We love you you for having me. I love what you're doing. And you know what? I was complimenting you on the way here. I was on the phone with a friend. (laughs) And I really think it's admirable to all be in a space of sharing our story and being in a community of women because we have a million women in our community and we're all doing this and that in this event. But I love being surrounded by women where your moms, your authors, your coaches, your podcast. And there's, I hope everyone knows listening or watching, there's enough space for everyone to succeed because Mm -hmm. there's so many people. It's the coolest thing to be surrounded by like-minded people who just want to help people and use their crazy stuff to make the world feel more connected. Mm-hmm. I love that you guys are doing this. Thank you. That's how I feel about you. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for being here, Lacey. Yay. Love you. I'm so excited.